Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. So, I've been wanting to share this story with you guys for a while now, but I just haven't. And I thought that now was the time, so... Here it goes. In 2007, when I was 12 years old, my family and I took a trip to Florida with some of my cousins and family friends. Naturally, while at the resort, my cousins and I would all hang out at the kids club, where there were always a bunch of kids to hang out with, epic chicken fingers and ranch dressing and fun games for us to play just all round. There was a director of the kids club who watched us and facilitated all of the activities. His name was Dan. In retrospect, Dan was a a major creep. He was around 40 years old, super tall and skinny, and was balding terribly. But the worst part is that sometimes he had us call him Dan Dan the Animal Man. Side note too, these sort of memories leave me in awe of just how naive and blinded to danger I was, and I'm sure most were as a kid. If I ever met this guy now, I literally wouldn't want to get in within a 5 foot radius of him. And there I was as a 12 year old thinking that he rocked. Time is a truly wonderful thing, right? Anyhow, I digress, but it was made clear to all of us that, for unknown reasons, Dan was leaving the hotel in a week. None of this really fazed me, but on our last day of the hotel, I lost my cell phone. It was a bright blue chocolate cell phone, if anyone remembers those gems with the spinny wheel. But I quickly told my parents that uh, I just couldn't find my phone anywhere. And considering that this was already the second phone that I lost that year, my mum yelled at me and told me that if I didn't find it, that I'd be grounded. I hurriedly ran around the hotel looking for my phone everywhere, and along my way I went into the kids club to see if anyone had found it. The room that was typically bustling with kids and activity was now eerily quiet and empty. But Dan was sitting on a couch all by himself. Hey Dan, did you by any chance see my phone anywhere? I asked. Dan responded. 
Uh, yeah, actually, I, I found it and I put it in the lost and found in the basement. Come with me, I'll show you. Thinking absolutely nothing of this, I mindlessly followed behind Dan as he led me around the back of the hotel. We walked uh, for about three minutes, I would say, and arrived at the foot of a stairwell going into the basement. We were standing at the back of the hotel in a really strange area, and nobody else was in sight. It's down here? I asked, confused. I was staring down a long flight of stairs leading to absolute darkness. The walls were made of unpainted concrete, and it looked no more than a storage area, let alone a basement with a lost and found. Dan nodded and held the door open for me, motioning for me to head down the steps. But something in my 12-year-old self just suddenly woke up. I'm not sure if it was instinct, fear, or maybe it was just luck, but... I immediately knew that I needed to get the heck out of there now. Before Dan could say or do anything too, I just blurted out, Never mind, I think I left it with my mum. And darted away from the stairwell and back to the hotel lobby. I was so shook up by this because just something about that situation didn't feel right. I just knew that he was going to hurt me and as a kid who wore rose-colored glasses and was overly trusting of others... This really meant something to me. I tried to compose myself and figured that I'd investigate a bit more. I walked up to the concierge of the hotel and asked them where the lost and found is because I lost my phone. The nice woman at the front desk told me that the lost and found was right there at their desk. She then asked what kind of phone I lost and after I told her that it was a blue chocolate flip phone... She smiled and pulled it out of the box under her desk. Yeah, someone turned it in earlier, she said, and handed me my phone. Wait, you're telling me the lost and found isn't in the basement? I stammered. No, sweetie, the hotel is under construction and the basement is just being rebuilt. There's no electricity down there or anything yet. This absolutely scared me half to death. I just couldn't shake the feeling that this man, he was dangerous. At the time, I was sharing a hotel room with my cousin, and she was the only person that I told. Considering that she was only eight at the time, I think I really freaked her out too. But I'm now 26, and I still think back to that moment, and wonder just, what if? What would have happened if I'd gone down into the basement with Dan Dan the Animal Man? It feels truly like one of the most critical junctures of my entire life and I'm just really happy that I knew to get the heck out of there before it was too late. And recently I contacted the hotel to inquire about past kid club employees named Dan from 2007 just to see if he's still around or not, or on a sex offenders list, or in jail. I even told HR this whole story but... They just still refused to give me any information about him and sounded pretty sketchy about it too. I'll continue to do some more research and if I ever find more information then I'll be sure to share it with you guys here. But thanks for listening. When I say my grandfather was truly a badass, I really mean it. He was born in Alberta during the early 30s and raised his three brothers on a reservation from the time that he was like nine when his parents left for BC with their only daughter, promising to return and 
none of the boys ever saw them again. To make ends meet, he learned carpentry and worked as a laborer, and bare-knuckle boxed against older men for extra cash from time to time. He learned how to track and hunt, and always came home with something to eat when the work was scarce. When he was 14, he put the second oldest brother in charge of the household, left the res in search of his parents and a better life, and just never went back. And that was the last time that he saw any of his family members ever again. He spent several months riding the rails though, befriending some transients while using his fighting skills to defend himself against others. He eventually made his way to Vancouver, the last known whereabouts of his parents and sister, and started working in a pulp mill. At 17, he met my grandmother and the two eventually married, leading to him giving up his search for his family. They bought some land and he spent his free time building several houses, which still stand today. And one of those houses sat on the land that he bought with my grandmother, which included acres of wooded area. On this land, my grandparents kept horses and dogs and small farm animals for eggs and meat and whatnot. When my aunt was born in the early 50s, and then my mother came along right before the end of the decade. As far as I've heard too, nothing bad or strange really ever happened until my mum found an old Ouija board and played with it by herself, but I don't know if it has any relation to this story or whatnot, but it's always mentioned. But my mother was around eight when she was riding a horse through the wooded part of their acreage, when the horse just stopped dead in its tracks. When my mum tried to spur it on, but it seemed to be frozen in fear, and all of a sudden she smelled something like rotting garbage and meat. She pulled back on the reins, and the horse instantly turned and took off backwards towards the house, almost knocking her off its back several times along the way. Afterwards, too, that horse was just never really the same. It would try to kick her, and if she got on it, it would fall backwards, trying to crush her beneath it. On one occasion, it started acting like its old self again, letting her climb onto it, but once she did, it just ran towards the road and stopped abruptly, bucking her forward onto the path and an oncoming car. My grandpa actually saw this one happen and even put a shotgun to its head, and the horse just kept breathing heavily and staring straight ahead. My mother barely missed being run over by a car that day that saw the horse coming and managed to swerve out of the way in the last instance, and my grandmother begged my grandfather not to shoot the horse, but he finally decided to give it away when he saw my mother wasn't badly injured. That same horse fell on the next person to ride it, breaking a collarbone, and the father did what my grandpa said that he should have done the first time. But after that, animals started going missing, and one of the hunting dogs was injured by something during an attack at night. My grandpa set out some traps and stayed in the hayloft above the barn with a shotgun and a rifle beside him, and slept out there for several nights at one point. He figured that it was foxes, or maybe coyotes, or wolves, or even a desperate bear perhaps, which is what he attributed the smell in the woods to and the horse's reason for losing its mind. But nothing ever came the entire night that he slept out there and eventually he just figured that it had moved on to easier prey or perhaps even died. But the day after he stopped sleeping in the barn, my mum was out near the tree line playing with the injured dog as it was healing. When out of nowhere, the dog started sniffing the air and then positioned itself between my mum and the trees, growling and barking. 
My grandpa heard the noise and came out, stopped in his tracks, then called to my grandmother to bring his rifle, then whistled for the dogs. My grandma came out, handed him his gun, then asked what was going on. As the dogs all started to react like the first one, my grandfather pointed to one of the treetops, which looked longer and thicker than those around it, but it was very slightly moving. It was at least six feet tall, but he told me later on when he would retell the story that it was probably a good bit taller than that too. But he took aim and fired just as he saw a pair of wings start to open up. Whatever was up there was watching them, but he beat it to the punch. It was a kill shot directly in the chest with a high-powered rifle, and he instantly started running forward with all of the dogs following him as this thing plummeted to the ground. The breaking of tree branches was wholly unmistakable too, he said. When he reached the impact point, he raised his rifle again and commanded the dogs forward to flush it out, but they all just sort of stood on the spot and kept spinning around, trying to catch a scent that just seemingly disappeared. A pile of broken branches lay in the obvious landing spot, but beyond that, there was no proof that anything had happened. There was no body... No blood, no trail, which meant that it had either disappeared or gone straight back up the way that it came. He searched those woods too for several days, but just never found a sign of what that thing was. They didn't see it or experience issues with the animals after that though, which I guess sort of lends credence to the fact that this thing was the thing bothering them. Decades later though, when he was dying, he kept talking about how he saw something. In his delirium, he referred to it as an alien, but said that it was coming back for him. Now, I have never seen that man scared of pretty much anything in my entire life, but there was actual panic and fear in his voice this time. A few nights before he died, he had already been too weak to stand on his own for several days, and my grandmother woke up to the sound of a gunshot. She ran outside fearing the worst and saw my grandpa lowering his rifle, staring at something in the distance. She took the gun away and helped him back inside and that was it. I don't know if whatever it was actually did come back for him or if it was just a, a hallucination of an old memory or something. But I would like to think that he went out with a final screw you to the thing that tried to torment his family all those years ago. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So this happened a few years ago when I was about 13. I'm 5'7 and about 125 pounds, so I'm pretty small, but I usually have pepper spray and a pocket knife on me. I'm embarrassed to say, though, that in the excitement of my exploration with my best friends, that I forgot my pepper spray and knife this day. I love to explore, though, and even travel, or especially in places that I'm not allowed to. So when I moved in, of course, one of the first places that I explored were the train tracks. I had my best friend come over one day to explore the neighborhood with me, and we decided that the train tracks was a perfect place to start. We were walking for an hour or two, but it was still light outside, and we had just passed a small neighborhood street, so we felt pretty safe. But when I turned around to throw a stick, I saw five hooded figures suddenly following us from about 200 feet. I tried to pretend that I didn't see them, and I told my best friend calmly what I'd seen. We decided to look at them straight on and to see what they would do. But once we looked at them, they stopped. So did my friend and I. We stared at each other for a few seconds. Finally, they made their move, and three of them went left and two of them went right. We heard the sound of loud and fast footsteps, so we finally snapped out of our trance and we ran as quickly as we could. We were both in cross-country teams, thankfully, and we were being held together by adrenaline, so we could run faster than we ever had before. And luckily, too, because I'd actually explored some of these tracks alone a few days ago... I knew that if we ran about a half a mile more that we would be on a bridge above another small neighborhood. We somehow made it too, no clue if we were still being followed or not, but out of fear we jumped 10 feet down and just kept running deep into the neighborhood until we finally saw other people. And then we slowly walked home, shaking and exhausted. Looking back on it all now, I really do regret not telling my parents about this. But I was scared that they wouldn't let me go out and explore alone anymore. I didn't go on those tracks again, and I never will, but still. I probably should have told someone, because who knows? Maybe somebody else will end up down there, and maybe they won't be so quick. So to lay the scene, I live in a small town in Florida very close to the coast. It's a bit of a commuter town and it's usually pretty quiet at night. But since the state shut down, people have been so eager to get home and just go to bed so they can get to work in the morning. When I work in service and still work just as much as I did, if not more, before this all happened, I see a lot more people out at night, having parties or driving around at weird hours or just walking the town and whatnot. And one night, my dad picked me up from my closing shift. We decided to take the back road because it's quicker. It's still fairly inhabited with houses and a church and a high school on the way, but it is poorly lit. And to be honest, it was actually a pretty uneventful ride. We were just talking as usual, catching up on how our day was and whatnot, until we made the final turn onto a stretch of road beside the church... And in the middle of the road was what I can only describe as a creature. Physically, it was huge and covered in thick dark fur. 
For reference on the size, my dad drives a 2005 Dodge Ram, and the headlights just reached its shoulders. But it had six really skinny legs, and it was sort of hunched over and dragging one of them behind it. And they curved sort of outward, which made me wonder if they were supposed to, or if they were severely bowed or something. I, uh, really can't logically think of any animal it could have been, to be honest. Unless it was mutated, or had been born deformed or something. But the sounds it made were just unlike anything that I've ever heard. When our headlights hit it, it sort of sunk to the ground, screamed, and then just ran off into the woods. But the screams were high-pitched and really wet, like it was gargling. I saw it stumble off the road and hit a tree before screaming again, and then it just disappeared. My dad stopped the truck and we got out with a flashlight. We only stayed for a few minutes as we were both pretty shaken up, but we looked for blood or tracks, but there were none. But what I do remember is that the whole section of the road in front of our truck was covered in what looked like white sand, and even though we are close to the beach, it's pretty much all woods around that area. We got back into the truck after that though, and we just went home. My dad just refuses to talk about it, and we don't actually take that back road anymore after that. But I guess the reason why I'm sharing this here is because I would like to know, do any of you guys know what the heck that was? So one night, my wife, my son and I, we went to stay over at my wife's parents' house. It had gotten dark and my son, about two at the time, had actually gotten sleepy so I decided to put him to bed. Now let me try to explain the room to you as well because it's pretty relevant for later. So the door opens on the right side of the room. Immediately to your left is the light switch and the queen size bed is just beside that. It's a pretty small room, just big enough for the bed in fact and enough room to walk around that bed. The wall in front of the bed has a window and to the left of the bed is a closet with those weird sort of accordion doors. So I'm laying in bed with the lights out with my son who is laying his head on my arm. He finally falls asleep and I'm just sort of lying there for a few minutes to make sure that he's completely out. When out of nowhere I just get this horrible feeling. Goosebumps, hair standing up on the back of my neck and arms. It was just such a, an evil feeling. Have you ever got goosebumps up your scalp where it feels like your scalp is sort of shrinking? Well, I did that night. So bad in fact that it literally felt like someone had a hand on my head squeezing it. I was genuinely scared, and not so much for me, but for my son. And somehow I just knew deep down that if I turn away from my son that something bad was about to happen to him. I thought that if I could turn on the light, I could grab my son and leave the room, so where I was in the bed, I could just barely touch the plastic bezel thing on the light switch. I was afraid to move because I knew that if I did, whatever this thing is, it will get my son. His head was on my arm this whole time though, so I finally chanced it. I jerked my arm out from under my son and I turned on the light quickly. It honestly took just a split second, but when I turned back to grab him... He was now at the bottom of the mattress like something had pulled him from the top to the bottom in like a split second. 
and I knew that he didn't crawl down there because, well, he was still fast asleep and there's just no way that he could move that quickly. So uh, I grabbed him up and we left that room and just slept in the front room that night. But something evil wanted my child and that truly terrifies me. So, my mum is a paramedic, been in the NHS for like 30 plus years, a well-known member of staff, and like her reputation, she's known for her fair share of ghost stories about the old morgue in northwest England, not being specific for privacy reasons, which has now been torn down with the rest of the hospital and has a housing estate on it. Her most freaky one though has to be when they dropped off an expired patient at the morgue. So this happened back in the 90s when the hospital was still used for the most part. They had been in the morgue, handing over an expired patient like I mentioned. And this next bit of info is pretty important to the story, but the ambulance bay was a concrete garage for the most part, with one tiny dim light inside and was directly opposite the morgue or mortuary. The ambulance needed a key to lock all the doors too. So mum and her colleague walked out of the morgue, chatting away like they normally did, when her colleague stopped her dad and stared into the ambulance bay. Because there in the far corner, behind the dim light, was a dark figure just sort of standing there. Another important bit of info too is that this was at night time. And they brushed it off though, just as an object at the back of the bay after it didn't move for some time. And the light made it difficult to see too, so like I said, they just sort of shrugged it off. They made their way to the ambulance, thinking nothing of it and got in using the key to unlock it. My mum put the key in the ignition but didn't turn the engine on as they had to fill out the rest of the paperwork still. And while they were filling out paperwork, the ambulance doors just suddenly locked, all of them from the outside. They froze, sort of looked at each other, then looked up in front of them. And as they looked up, both of their eyes locked onto the door of the morgue, which they had watched swing open. And then, another figure walked silently out of it and began to walk straight for the ambulance. In my mum's own words, they apparently bricked it, starting to freak out as this thing got closer. They couldn't get out of the ambulance due to it being locked from the outside. Their only choice was to drive off, and as they did, the figure just vanished into thin air, and the morgue door was still wide open. Now, I know some of you might be saying that couldn't they just go back to their station? Well, that hospital was their ambulance station. They refused to go back too until it was bright outside. My mum recalls them coming back in the morning and her colleagues describing her being sheet white. They were the same after my mum told them the story too. They all refused to park there after that and even avoided going to the morgue at all if possible. But whoever lives on that site now, I really feel sorry for them. She has a lot of ghost stories from that place. And heck, some of them are even quite amusing. They're genuinely mixed up with some of my mum's dark sarcasm. I'll definitely share some of them too if you guys are down for that. But generally speaking, ghost stuff just never really bothered my mother. Even up until that point because, well, she'd experienced so much. But this one... She always said just never really sat right with her. 
So I went on a little hiking trip with my dad to Shasta, California, a small town in Northern California near the Oregon border. Shasta is home to a potentially active volcano named, well, of course, Mount Shasta. There are many trails on this mountain too, so my father and I were excited to do some hiking. We drove up the side of the mountain to the parking lot in which one of the trails begins. I believe it was called the Old Ski Bowl Trail or something. The landscape was a very barren incline though, filled with rocks, boulders, dirt and very few trees. About an hour into the trail, we came across a very odd assembly of these large boulders. They were sort of arranged in a circle and... We thought that it was weird, but we continued on. If you look up pictures of the trail, you'll see much smaller rocks arranged in patterns and circles too. And my father and I only encountered three people. Well, at least that's what they appeared to be at first. The first two were a father and son. We met them on a steep incline that went along the wall of the cliff that would then switch back as it reached to the top of the cliff. We stopped and we said hello, talked about the trail, and they went our separate ways. But here is where it gets weird. So Dad and I kept walking up the incline for just about two minutes. I turned around and I saw the father and the son so far down the trail that it just didn't make any sense. It should have taken them at least 20 minutes to get down there to where they were, but somehow they were there and... Only about two minutes. To this day, I have absolutely no idea how that could have happened. I mean, there was no one else on the trail at that point, and I could see the color of their clothes from that distance, so I knew that it was them. I pointed it out to my dad, and we both thought that it was weird, but we tried not to dwell on it, and we just kept going. And here is where it gets so much weirder. So as we reached the top of the cliff, there was another strange rock arrangement that was off to the side of the trail. This time, there were far more rocks than before and they were now arranged in rows, almost like gravestones. We continued on the trail and reached another sort of incline with a switchback to reach the top of another cliff. We reached a point where we would actually need climbing gear to continue, so at that point, we decided that we should just head back. But when we turned around, I saw a man standing among the rocks, just staring at us. He was wearing a, a button-up shirt, cargo shorts, and a wide-brimmed straw hat. He was at a distance where I should have been able to make out his facial features, but it was almost as if he had none. Like, his face was just flesh and skin. I pointed him out to my dad and then the man just quickly ducked down behind a boulder and was peering out at us over the top of the boulder. It almost seemed playful, like a child trying to hide. For a few moments too, I was well, sort of out of it and I actually have no recollection of what was going on. But according to my dad, I started walking towards this guy in the hat. My dad was calling to me, Josh, what are you doing? Where are you going? And then I finally came to. I was apparently standing pretty much right at the edge of the cliff. It was a huge drop as well, enough to kill me or seriously injure me for sure. My dad grabbed me and pulled me back to the trail and he told me to stay put and my dad went down to the boulders to search for this guy but when he did, he wasn't there. But again, the strange thing is that 
there was just nowhere for him to go except for up or down that trail. It really didn't make any sense because he had just disappeared. I have no idea what's going on on that trail and I still have no explanation for that whole day. I've told this many times to family and friends and nobody else has any explanation too. I've done research and found similar stories of man encounters with a man with no facial features wearing a hat. I've also read that the Native American tribes from the area viewed Mount Shasta as a holy site. They believe that it could act as a portal to other dimensions or something and that it's guarded by spirits who would potentially harm anyone who tried to go up to the volcano. I really don't know about any of that, but if anybody has any similar experiences or any insight at all, then I sure would love to hear it because the whole thing is just really confusing. So please, do share anything that you have to offer, and thanks for listening. So I worked for a very major retailer that you've probably all heard of. This was from about a year and a half ago, I'd say. So back when I worked in the electronics and photo departments. Now, one afternoon I answered the phone and I spoke to a customer. He wasn't very direct about what exactly he was looking for. At first he said that he was looking for a gift for a family member that he hated. He said that he wanted it to be something that they would accept because of the obligation, but would absolutely hate. I asked if he was looking for a type of gag gift or something, and he just sort of dodged my question. Instead, he started asking me about what I would buy if I wanted to get a gift for a family member like that. I said that I just really wasn't sure, but maybe a movie or some music that they didn't like would be a good choice. Then, he surprised me by asking what type of movies that I like to watch. I said that it wasn't anything that would really fit what he was looking for, as I usually watched anime. And next he asked that if that was something that I would want to watch over dinner... I said that I certainly do watch it while I eat dinner sometimes, not knowing where he was going with this at first. But then he said, no, I meant with me. I just sort of laughed nervously at this and I told him no. Then I quickly changed the subject back to what he was looking for and he asked if we had a certain TV series in stock. I told him that I would go and check. By this point I was feeling pretty uncomfortable but I still wanted to keep my customer service going and not disappoint the customer by being rude. So I found what he was looking for and then told him the price and how many copies were in stock and whatnot. After this he asked me some other questions about myself and in the end I just sort of told him that perhaps I wasn't the best person to help him and then I handed the phone off to a male co-worker. I walked away from the desk at that point and made my way back to the photo department where I felt safer as I wasn't in the direct view of customers who were walking around and whatnot. I took a moment to collect myself before I left and this next part was my co-worker's interaction with the customer on the phone. So my co-worker introduced himself in the usual manner and asked how he could help. The man then said, oh man, where did that cute bubbly girl go? My coworker replied with an improvised response of, oh, she's actually our photo associate and she doesn't know as much about electronics, to which the customer responded with, oh, I'd like to see some pictures of her naked, to which my coworker really didn't know how to respond. 
The customer then said that it would be easier to just shop in person and that he'd be back later to see me and then he hung up. I asked my co-worker if he was ever able to get the customer off the phone and he told me about what the customer said and quite honestly, I really felt sick. I was also pretty terrified of coming into contact with this customer that I went to management and reported the issue to them. They just chuckled and said that there wasn't anything that they could do as if it was likely just a prank caller. I was worried though about spending any time on the sales floor but I still had to complete my shift. That evening I was quite terrified and I politely asked a male co-worker to walk me to my car. He obliged and we saw no trace of any creepy guys anywhere and I never heard from him again ever since then but it's weird how things like this can just put you on edge and make you look over your shoulder constantly. It's a horrible way to live and it's something that I really don't wish upon anyone. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.